Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast, or it's easier to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle and France 24. We will begin with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. There were two stories dominating the international press this week. A massive leak of classified documents and French President Macron visiting China and saying that Europe should not follow the U.S. into a war with China over Taiwan. The Pentagon is searching for the leaker and attempting damage control. Documents have been posted saying that the U.S. is spying on Israel and South Korea. There have been accusations that some of the information is fake or has been altered. One document claims there have been 90 NATO special forces in Ukraine. A professor from John Hopkins University discusses the seriousness of the leak and that only 50 of the documents out of many hundreds have been made public. He also points out that in the United States, one and a quarter million people have top-secret clearance and that this is the fifth mega-leak of classified information in 12 years. Then a report on French President Macron saying that Europe should not get involved in a conflict between the U.S. and China, calling for more European sovereignty. He also gave several interviews saying that Europe should not adapt to an American rhythm in a Chinese overreaction. A Deutsche Welle correspondent gives an analysis of Macron's controversial statements. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. The Pentagon is reportedly trying to narrow down the number of people who may have had security clearance to the trove of classified documents first leaked on social media back in early March. As the search for the source of the leak continues, Washington is busy doing damage control. The revelation suggests the U.S. has spied on key allies, including Israel and South Korea. On Tuesday, Seoul dismissed a significant number of the files, calling them fake. The Pentagon says it's ordered an internal review describing the leak as a very serious national security risk. A leaked U.S. military intelligence document suggests that special forces from NATO countries have been operating in Ukraine. According to the papers, uh, U.S. officials estimate that there were more than 90 special forces personnel from NATO states in Ukraine without specifying their activities or locations. The leaked intelligence also claims Serbia, the only country in Europe that's refused to sanction Russia over the war, has agreed to supply arms to Kyiv. Well, tonight, there are more details from that apparent massive leak of U.S. intelligence documents online, and that includes reports of a small number of Western special forces inside Ukraine. Washington's allies, including the government in Kyiv, are playing down the leaked material, calling some of the documents outdated or fake. 
but the U.S. is taking this leak very seriously. Well, Professor Thomas Ridd is the founding director of the Alperovitch Institute for Cybersecurity Studies at Johns Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies. Professor, it's good to have you on the program. How serious is this leak for the U.S. government? This leak is no doubt very serious. There's no reason right now, despite of what some uh, uh, allies are saying, uh, to believe that there is that this is fake or some, in, in any way. Let's put this into context. The leak emerged emerged for the first time on uh, on a s pretty obscure sub-channel in disc on Discord, a social media platform, and. Importantly, the number of files that was initially posted on that sub-channel were uh, reportedly in the hundreds and hundreds, but below 1,000. Mm -hmm. So the approximately 50 files that many uh, media organizations have are only a small part of the initial breach. You refer to Discord as being an obscure you know, platform. But how obscure is it? I mean, one of my producers was saying that um, his children use Discord to communicate with their gaming buddies around the world. I mean, everyone knows about Discord. Yeah. And with that being the case, how is it possible then that the U.S. government didn't find these documents for, for, for weeks? We understood that they had been posted there um, what, at the beginning of yeah. March, and it's been, what, four or five weeks since then? Yeah, I think it's important to make a distinction. Obviously, Discord is not an obscure platform, um, just like Slack is not an obscure platform. But just like with Slack, what you can do here is to have closed groups, closed channels on Discord, and even sub-channels within them um, that are not publicly visible. And it was, I think, if I understand correctly, in one of those closed channels that is now deleted, that the initial um, a leak appeared and was then reposted by members into other channels and ultimately into public fora on 4chan. And if we go back to the fact that this isn't the first large U.S. intelligence leak that, that we've had to report on, um, why is it happening to the United States? I mean, is, is it because the United States is such a big target, it's a superpower, or is this a consequence of living in an open democracy? Yeah, neither of the two, I think. First off, let's put this into context. Uh, we've seen in the past 13 years since 2010, five mega leaks and a couple mm -hmm. of smaller ones, all coming out of the U.S. intelligence community writ large. Uh, Cablegate, Snowden, I'm just going to name them. Cablegate, Snowden, Shadow Brokers, Vault yeah. 7, and now these Discord leaks. Now, why is this happening? There are a couple of reasons. One of them is... Here in the United States, we have, and these are official Director of National Intelligence figures, we had, as of late 2019, 1.25 million people who had top secret clearance and another 1.7 million people with secret clearance. The vast number of people with, that, with, with such high clearances makes it practically impossible to really do proper risk management. And there's over-classification. Over and it's simply still too easy to take some of this material outside, either digitally or physically, as we've seen mm -hmm. with these files, because they were taken as pictures from physical documents. You get the impression, too, that inside the Pentagon right now, the mood must be it's time to, you know, take some names and kick some butt. Um, that could be a normal reaction to this, but I'm wondering, in your expert opinion, what does the United States need to do 
to prevent these kinds of leaks in the future? There is no doubt this leak is highly damaging, just like all the other leaks that I've just listed were highly damaging. But let me add a probably fresh and provocative perspective to this conversation. Mm -hmm. And that is the leaks are damaging and they should be avoided at all costs, yes. But also at the same time, because of all these mega leaks, we now have a much more informed public conversation about intelligence capabilities in the United States. We now have a fairly detailed understanding of advanced technical collection capabilities in the United States um, as a result of Snowden and other leaks. So we have to just be able as an open democracy to embrace this contradiction. Yes, the leaks are bad, but once they're out, there's actually also a beneficial aspect to having that information out there. Of course, that doesn't negate the bad sides. I'm not yeah. saying that, but it's a it's a helpful conversation that is enabled as a result. But Professor, if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, that the message here is we're going to have to learn to live with this. I mean, the message is uh, to a, to an extent absolutely yes, because we've had five mega leaks and the space of essentially on average one every 2.5 years, every two and a half years, and a couple of small ones in between. So far, I'm, I'm not seeing the measures that would prevent this from happening. So am I expecting back to be online having this conversation with you in two and a half years? Well, the evidence so far leads me to expect that. Fascinating, fascinating. Professor Thomas Ridge from Johns Hopkins University. Well, just two days ago, French President Emmanuel Macron gave an interview in which he said that Europe should not get involved in a conflict between the United States and China if tensions over Taiwan increase. It was part of a longer interview, which he used to call for more European sovereignty. Well, today, Macron outlined his vision for Europe and what that sovereignty should stand on. He noted that the pandemic and the war in Ukraine provide instructions of what needs to change. Some of what he said won't be easy listening for France's closest allies. Those who decided to cooperate, to make trade with neighbors, even if they were not allies, Russia for energy. Because we decided, de facto, that trade could be the best way to cooperate, could create irreversible links and precisely avoid the others to be aggressive. They decided to weaponize the energy putting us in a completely crazy and unbelievable situation. Pandemic and war just pushed us in a situation to discover that we have to reduce our dependencies if you want to preserve the European identity. Otherwise, we will progressively be dependent on everything. Students in The Hague eagerly awaited the French president's key address. Over the weekend, Macron had given an interview that had drawn attention due to his remarks about Taiwan and the threat of conflict between the U.S. and China. The worst thing would be to think that we Europeans must be followers and must adapt ourselves to an American rhythm and a Chinese overreaction. This raised the question whether his views were in line with the EU's position. His later speech seemed more cautious in spite of its grand flourishes. This is why European sovereignty is not just a concept or a fantasy, but it's absolutely, in a dangerous world, a necessity.
Over Easter, Beijing's military exercises and waters off Taiwan demonstrated just how dangerous the global situation is. But other Europeans draw different conclusions to Macron. The fact that he sides with China and against America at the very moment when military exercises are taking place on Taiwan's borders does not align with European interests. Polish Prime Minister Morawiecki stressed that the relationship to the U.S. is critical to Poland's security. And one U.S. senator said what many conservative Americans think. We need to ask Europe, does he speak for them? Because we're pretty heavily involved in Ukraine right now. We're spending a lot of our taxpayer money on a European war. Emmanuel Macron has given Europe fresh impetus, but not everyone is pleased with the direction he's taking. Let's bring in correspondent Christine Mundwa, who is joining us from Brussels. Christine, what was Macron's main message, you think? Well, his main message in the speech he gave in The Hague yesterday was to say that Europe is way too dependent on other world powers and that that needed to change. He referred to the pandemic as having had been an eye-opener, uh, how Europe was stuck uh, experiencing supply shortages, semiconductors. Um, he also referred to, to the fact that war was back in Europe and, and that Europeans needed a, a common defence and security. So what he would have said yesterday in that speech, many, many would agree with, that Europe indeed needs uh, to, to further integrate uh, and to be more independent, more sovereign. And he said it was important so that Europe could be a, a, a rule maker rather than just a rule taker in, in a changing world. So that was his main message uh, yesterday. And of course, it wasn't just the students in The Hague listening out in that speech yesterday to see if he would make further remarks uh, about right. what he had said on Taiwan. Uh, it was the press too. Uh, and uh, sad to say we were disappointed in a sense. Tell us a little bit more about that, because, um, you know, as you mentioned, so many people were watching to see if there was anything that he would say to reassure those unsettled by his recent remarks on Taiwan. Yeah, so not in yesterday's speech, uh, not at all. And of course, it wasn't a, a press conference, so to say, where, where, where we as a press could have further pressed him on that. But what is clear is that for a lot of people, what, what's really unsettling by his remarks was his, his way of almost equating Beijing and, and Washington by saying that we, we shouldn't be followers of, of China and we shouldn't be followers of the United States, especially in Eastern European countries where the U.S.'s security reassurance is, is really important for the foundation of their peace uh, and security, again, especially in the context that we're in now where there is a war in Europe. So it is this uh, seemingly equating China and America and and the United States that a lot of people would have felt uncomfortable with. I think, you know, in large part, people do agree, as we heard from, for example, uh, the uh, European Council President, Charles Michel, that, that Europe must be more independent in a position where it's able to, to make its own decisions. But I think it is this idea that he would be turning on, on an ally, as we heard from uh, the, the German uh, MEP there, that he would be siding with Beijing, because really these remarks have been welcomed uh, in Beijing. A lot of uh, local outlets in China reporting uh, at rallying and, and hailing these remarks as, as um, refreshing from a, an independent uh, individual. The speech interrupted by protesters at one point. Tell us more about that. Well, uh, President Macron is in his second term and he's really facing the biggest challenge of his second term back home. That is, of course, his efforts to, to reform uh, France's uh, pension system, which will see the retirement age go from 62 to 64. Uh, we have seen and we've been reporting on, on the mass protests that have been happening across the country in France. And, of course, before he started his speech, uh, you had Hitler's uh, shouting, you know, where is French democracy and that you are a president of hypocrisy and violence. And, of course, he went 
went on to rebuff that to say, well, the very fact that this could happen shows that we're in a democracy and said we should not be equating um, our countries, Western democracies, to places in the world where there really is no democracy. Uh, so it's really just those issues back home catching up with him as he goes on on the international stage where he largely receives, as we saw in Beijing and also here in The Hague, where he's spending time with the king uh, and other senior leaders, big uh, receptions. Christine Wundwa in Brussels, thank you. That report was from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary. My health concerns have continued. I am recovering from spinal surgery four weeks ago, and I truly appreciate your well wishes. Hopefully, my energy is increasing. Bear with me, please. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the internet. Many, many thanks to everyone who has contributed most recently from Willits, California. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with France 24, a press review on the backlash to Macron's statements. That is followed by an analysis of why there is such a stir over whether Europe is just a chess piece between the U.S. and China. Then a press review several days later on how Europe sees itself. NPR quit using Twitter after it was labeled as a state-affiliated media. Thousands of Israelis, led by seven government ministers, marched on an evacuated West Bank settlement. France 24. Well, the backlash over Emmanuel Macron's comments on U.S.-China tensions continues in the press today. Well, in comments to the French newspaper Les Echo and Politico on Sunday, the French president essentially questioned whether it's in the interests of Europe to wade into U.S.-China tensions or accelerate a crisis on Taiwan, advocating against Europe becoming, quote, followers. While his comments have not gone down well in the international press, uh, it continues today, the backlash, uh, no more so evident than in the Australian papers. The Sydney Morning Herald today focusing on this in its, uh, in its print edition with two articles looking at uh, the anger after Emmanuel Macron's comments, a paper uh, lambasting what it sees really as a 180-degree U-turn by the French president, noting that when he visited Sydney back in 2018, he, w he made a landmark announcement on Indo-Pacific uh, relations designed to put the security of that region at the forefront of global issues. Well, fast forward to 2023, uh, and uh, now he's uh, backtracked after uh, a, quote, rock star welcome in, Ch in China and declarations by President Xi Jinping that Macron is a, quote, bosom friend. Uh, there's also uh, a lot of anger uh, in the European papers. This is from Der Tagesspiegel, which is a German paper, which evokes what it calls Emmanuel Macron's megalomania, the paper accusing the French president of dividing and weakening the West with his comments. Uh, quite a warm reception, though, from the Global Times. Uh, you can see here this, this Chinese paper uh, are really using these comments to its advantage. The editor is today writing that, I quote, in the eyes of normal people, Macron's emphasis on protecting European 
campaign interests is not news, but many act as if this has stepped on their tails, uh, a reference, of course, uh, to uh, the U.S. criticism of Emmanuel Macron's comments, Erin. Joining me in the studio is our international affairs editor, Angela Diffley. Angela, why is it that uh, Macron's comments on Taiwan have created such a stir? Yes, yeah, so this was an interview with uh, Les Echos in French and uh, Politico, and uh, he did the interview on the plane back from his uh, trip to China. And uh, it, for a number of reasons, it, it's caused a stir. He said uh, that Europe should be careful not to be a follower. He talked about following Washington's rhythm and China's perhaps overreaction. It's not clear. Those are, on one level, quite anodyne statements. He's not necessarily talking about a war or military action. He's talking about uh, diplomatic spats uh, and reactions to them. So on one level, it's, it's, it's very anodyne. Both sides have said, Washington has said, we have terrific bilateral relationship with France and France the same thing. On one level, nothing very much has happened. That said, the timing is very awkward. Uh, Macron was just about out of uh, Chinese uh, uh, airspace and out of China before China launched its, or Beijing launched its military exercises encircling Taiwan, which, of course, Beijing maintains is an inseparable part of Chinese territory. Macron on the plane and those military exercises uh, beginning very shortly after he left. That is rather difficult timing. Also, of course, very many Eastern European countries were annoyed that, again, we have Emmanuel Macron speaking out Unclear whether he's speaking for France or Europe. Sometimes in this case he talked about Europe. They are only too aware of the staunch backing of Washington over the threat that they feel from Russia's invasion to Ukraine, Poland on the border with Ukraine, other countries. They are only too well aware of Washington's backing and are, this is, a, is unwelcome timing. The French also came back with some contracts uh, from China and there was a feeling that the tone wasn't right, uh, that he almost suggested that should China try by force to make Taiwan its part of its inseparable territory, then it would there would be equal fault on both sides of Washington. It didn't look good. Sometimes Macron does this to push it away to the front. We don't quite know why this time. So what are we expecting him to say today in the Netherlands? He has talked a lot and for some time about strategic autonomy in Europe, and it's very important to him to talk about not just defence, but also economic autonomy within Europe. Uh, it is the case that uh, NATO has proved, we only have to ask the Finns, vital in terms of defence autonomy. But uh, the Europeans have been very worried by the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States, which is slightly misnamed in that broadly it's about massively subsidising their economy and particularly environmental businesses. And Europe is very worried that it will lead to an exodus of businesses to the United States. And uh, broadly, the United States has said, well, we're looking after our economy, you look after yours. So there's a, a keen feeling that Europe must make itself as independent as possible and make itself a third pole within the world. This response of Macron about not following the US, not being a follower in any uh, Taiwan, Washington, uh, Beijing spat, it came after a question. He was asked, is Europe a chess piece between two world blocks? And that is exactly his point. He doesn't want Europe to be a chess piece. He wants Europe to have time to build up defence. That's going to take an 
awful long time and also economic and energy autonomy. It may be that Europe calculates that anything happening in Taiwan is extremely important to Europe because Taiwan produces 90% of the world's most sophisticated semiconductors, 60% of all semiconductors. That is not an industry that's easily developed somewhere else. And so what happens in Taiwan is likely to impact the world economy in every way. Finally and briefly, how important is the Netherlands to France? Uh, this is a relationship which they're both keen to nurture. Uh, the Netherlands was often an ally of the United Kingdom before Brexit and in some uh, senses sees, uh, visualises issues in Europe in the same way as France. They're both similar. Um, Rutte, in the Prime Minister of uh, Holland, and uh, Macron are both centre-right. There's a, a bit of a personal relationship there and it's in both of their interests to really nurture this. They will be signing pacts on defence and, again, semiconductors and energy. Energy, and it's in both their interests to beef up that relationship. Thank you very much, Angela Diffley. We'll talk about Emmanuel Macron, the pushback that he's been facing. In addition to coverage of today's strike on pension reforms, the press is also discussing his remarks on China. Yeah, Politico tells us that Macron has doubled down on his saying that France should not be a vassal of uh, following the U.S., hardliners into war in Taiwan, and that the French president ne regrette, ne regrette rien, he doesn't regret anything. For the Italian paper Il Foglio, it says that there might be something, some merit here. It writes, the remarks are, quote, uh, pretty easy prey uh, to distorted interpretations. Instead, they deserve a real confrontation on what could be new European strategies. But beyond such views, the Le Monde tells us that Macron's words have elicited much criticism, both in the US and in Europe, and that in China in particular, his view has met much praise, uh, namely with the Global Times. Let's take a look at one of their editorials from this week. Um, the Global Times wrote that Macron may have been stepping on a tails, perhaps they mean toes there, um, that his remarks, though, are words of truth uh, according to the Beijing back paper. But as Liberation notes, uh, the blowback has been fierce and Macron is now in damage control. Uh, or uh, as West France puts it, this has created an international malaise that has come among France's allies. The timing was bad. It says it has created a diplomatic disaster. The American broadcaster NPR has decided to no longer use Twitter. The National Public Radio uh, made the move after Twitter, Twitter designated it uh, a, quote, state-affiliated media. They didn't change that to government-funded. Uh, it's a tag, though, that generally uh, is used for authoritarian countries where there is not ind editorial independence, which NPR has. But the move doesn't stop there. Elon Musk has put his two cents in. As Huffington Post tells us, uh, in their view, the owner of Twitter wrote a truly, truly petty reply. Now, let's take a look at that reply. He said on Twitter, quote, defund NPR. The squabble online has made many wonder uh, whether or not other mainstream media will also follow suit. Thousands of Israelis, led by at least seven government ministers, are marching to an evacuated West Bank settlement. The march posing a new test for Israel's security forces after days of unrest fuelled by tensions over a contested Jerusalem holy site. 
Israeli police and army forces were being deployed to the northern West Bank, the seed of frequent tensions in recent months, to secure the march. It also comes after days of fighting in Jerusalem and along Israel's northern and southern fronts. Earlier today, Israeli troops shot dead one Palestinian and injured another in a raid on a refugee camp near Jericho in the occupied West Bank. Those reports and press reviews were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and EU prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link. And get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 27th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.